Well, I don't know about you, but it just seems like uh, summer just flew by. Now here we are, the last few mornings, it kind of felt a little fallish in the air. And so uh, I'm guessing that fall is uh, just around the corner. And so it's good to see everyone out uh, this morning. And uh, hopefully uh, you've enjoyed uh, this morning. And hopefully our worship is uh, acceptable to God and pleasing in His sight and beneficial to each and every one of us that's here today. Many times in talking to people, I hear the expression, it doesn't really matter what church you go to. And I'm sure I'm not the only one in this assembly that has heard that statement made. I've heard it by many different people. And I've heard that statement over the course of years, but rarely can people defend it. Why are there so many churches? Is that okay? It would be great if I could stand up here and say, yeah, it's fine that there's so many churches. It's a good thing and that it doesn't really matter what church you belong to. But the question is, is that what the Bible says? Is that what the Bible teaches? Does it really matter what church you go to? I believe that the answer is yes, it does matter. Yes, it does matter because Jesus said, upon this rock I will build My church. And I want to be a part of His church. Not some man-made organization. I want to be a part of the church that Jesus said that He would build. And we can see that church established in the New Testament. And we'll talk about some of those things as we go through the lesson this morning. But... Does it really matter what church I go to or you go to? And so I want to answer that question. And what authority do we want to go to? Well, we want to go to the Bible, but I think that there's a a better authority, and that's Jesus Christ Himself. Because what does He say concerning the subject? We know that Jesus was given all authority. In Matthew chapter 28, verse 18, it says, All power is given unto Me in heaven and in earth. And so we know that He has authority. Some translations say, All authority has been given unto Me in heaven and in earth. And so we know that Jesus has the authority to say and to do what He did and what He said. In John chapter 12 and verse 48, Jesus tells us that the words that I have spoken, the same shall judge you in the last days. Now we can receive His Word, we can listen to His Word, or we can reject it. The choice is yours. Jesus tells us what we need to know. He tells us what's expected out of us as people and as Christians. And it's up to us as to whether or not we want to do those things to be pleasing in His sight. But, He does warn us in that verse that the words that He's spoken are the words that's going to judge us in the last days. And so 2 Timothy chapter 3, verses 16 and 17 tells us that all Scripture is given by the inspiration of God and is profitable for doctrine, for reproof, for correction, for instruction in righteousness, that the man of God may be perfect, thoroughly furnished unto all good works. So God's God's Word, this Scripture, the Scriptures that we have are God-breathed. That means they came from God. That He directed holy men in days past to write the words that we have. And we can see some of the apostles writing, other inspired writers. We have those writings and they're there for a reason. If God did not have instructions that He expects us to follow, then why did He give us a scripture. Why did he give us his word? Why do we have 
the Bible. If we can just throw it out and say, I can do what I want and it'll be acceptable to God. You see, we live in a pluralistic society, an inclusive culture, that no one wants to be rejected. We want to accept everyone and... I'm going to blow these off. And we, we want to be a part of that. We want everyone to be accepted. And so... When it comes to church, when it comes to the body of Christ, people feel the same way. Well, Jesus wants all people to be saved, but He has the conditions. He's the one that sets the standard of what we must do in order to be saved. And so I want us to think about something this morning. Is it unimaginable for God to exclude people, even sincere and honest religious people, Is it possible that God could exclude them from His kingdom? Matthew chapter 7, verses 13 through 14, he says, Enter ye in at the straight gate, for wide is the gate and broad is the way that leadeth to destruction, and many there be which go in thereat, because straight is the gate and narrow is the way which leadeth unto life, and few there be that find it. There's only a few, few people that are going to find that gate, find that way. Now, how many is a few in God's eyes? I have no idea. But I know that there's, there's only a few in relationship to all the population that's ever existed on this planet. There's only a few that are finding the way. And why is it? Because many aren't searching. Many may read the Bible and they don't like what it says and therefore they want to do what they want to do. And then they like to say that God's going to accept it. And they do that by faith, they say. I, feel, I just feel. I feel in my heart. I feel in my soul that God's going to accept me. But Jesus says, that road is straight. That gate is straight and narrow. And there's few that find it. That's because it's not easy. We have to diligently seek Him. In Matthew chapter 7, verses 21 through 23, he goes on to say, Not everyone that saith unto me, Lord, Lord, shall enter into the kingdom of heaven, but he that doeth the will of my Father which is in heaven. Many will say to me in that day, Lord, Lord, have we not prophesied in thy name, and in thy name cast out devils? And in thy name done many wonderful works, and then will I profess unto them, I never knew you. Depart from me, ye that work iniquity. Jesus there plainly tells us that if we want to make it to heaven, we have to go about doing His Father's will. That's the desire that He has. And so I have three questions that I would like for us to answer. Will everyone who calls on the name of the Lord enter the kingdom of heaven? Jesus says, Not everyone that saith unto Me, Lord, Lord, shall enter into the kingdom of heaven. And so the answer is no. Not everyone that says, Lord, Lord, is going to make it. Now, I can talk about denominations, but I want to bring it home. Many of us, maybe we're saying, Lord, Lord, but we're not in the kingdom because we're not doing what we're supposed to do. Second question is this. Will religious people someday be surprised to learn that God never knew them? Jesus said, Many will say to Me in that day, Lord, Lord, have we not prophesied in Thy name? And in thy name cast out devils, and in thy name done many wonderful works. Notice, they did those things. They cast out devils. They did many wonderful works. They did all of those things. 
And then will I profess unto them, I never knew you. Depart from me. Ye that work iniquity. Jesus is saying that some religious people are going to be surprised on the day of judgment. He goes on and talks about the parable of the wise man and the foolish man. The foolish man heard, but he didn't do. He built his house on the sand. And the rains came, and the winds blew, and the floods beat upon that house, and it fell. And the Bible says, Great was the fall of it. On that day of judgment, when we stand before God, we're going to be judged by the life that we've lived, and we're going to be compared to the words that Jesus tells us that we're going to be judged by. His words and those of the authority that He's given to the apostles. We'll be judged by those words. And so are we going to be surprised? Are you going to be surprised? We have to do His will. We have to do it His way. The third question is this. Who will enter the kingdom of heaven? Jesus said, He that doeth the will of my Father which is in heaven. You want to go to heaven? I'm sure if I asked the question this morning, how many of us want to go to heaven? Most hands. I would hope all the hands would go up. We all want to go to heaven. But what do we have to do to get there? We have to do the Father's will. Does that involve faith? Yes, it does. We'll talk about that in a minute. But it also involves God's Word. What He tells us that we must do. So the question is, how many churches did Jesus build? build? And we know that as it was read for us in Matthew 16, verse 18, Jesus said, Thou art Peter, and upon this rock I will build My church, and the gates of hell shall not prevail against it. So Jesus there is saying, I will build, and so it's somewhere in the future. But we know that it's near. We've looked at that in some of our studies in the past about the history or the prophecies concerning the church and how it started to come about. And we can see on the day of Pentecost when people were added to the church. So somewhere between Acts chapter 2 and Jesus' statement here in Matthew chapter 16, the church was going to be established. In Ephesians chapter 1, verses 22 through 23, it says, And hath put all things under his feet and gave him to be head over all things to the church, which is his body, the fullness of him that filleth all in all. You see, the church is not this building. It would be easier to say, Everybody that's in this building is going to be saved. It's the body of Christ. And when we obey the Gospel, the Lord adds us to the church, adds us to that body, and outside of that body, we find no promise of salvation. We find promises of salvation to those who are in that body. And Ephesians chapter 4 and verse 4 tells us there is one body and one spirit, even as ye are called and one hope of your calling. So there's only one body. How do I get into that body? Jesus tells us how I get into that body. He tells me that I'm buried with my Lord in baptism and then we see that we're added to the church. The Lord puts us in that body. Is it important that we be a part of a church that's doing what the Bible teaches us that we must do? And you say, well, all of them say they're doing what's right. Look at, their, look at what they teach. Are they following the pattern of the New Testament? Are they set up the way the Lord's church is supposed to be set up? Do they practice the plan of salvation as the Scriptures tell us we must do in order to be saved? 
Are we doing what the Lord says we must do in order to be saved? Do I need to be a part of that one church that Jesus said that He would build? Has God ever chosen just one location throughout history for people to be that they needed to be in in order to be saved? I would like for us to look at three examples today where the Lord said this is where you need to be if you want to be saved. And then we're going to look at the fourth, which is the church. Now first of all, if you have your Bibles, you can turn over to Genesis chapter 7. Genesis chapter 7, we can find where God had chosen just one location for the salvation of Noah and his family. In Genesis chapter 7, beginning in verse 1, it says, And the Lord said unto Noah, Come thou and all thy house into the ark, for thee have I seen righteous before me in this generation. Of every clean beast thou shalt take by thee by seven, the male and his female, and of the beasts that are not clean by two, the male and his female, of fowls also of the air by seven, the male and the female, to keep seed alive unto the face of all the earth. For yet seven days, and I will cause it to rain upon the earth forty days and forty nights, and every living substance that I have made will I destroy from off the face of the earth. And Noah did according to all that the Lord commanded him. God's telling Noah what to do. In chapter 6, He told Noah to build an ark. And He told him how long, how wide, how tall to build that ark. How many windows, how many doors. Pitch it within and pitch it without. How many stories to put on that in that ark. And the Bible says Noah did what the Lord commanded him to do. And then He told him to go into the ark and he went into the ark. And then listen to what it says in verses 15 and 16 of Genesis chapter 7. And they went in unto Noah into the ark, two and two of all flesh, wherein is the breath of life. And they that went in, went in male and female of all flesh, as God had commanded him, and the Lord shut him in. Noah didn't shut the door. Noah's sons didn't shut the door. There wasn't some big elephant that went out and pushed the door or pulled the door closed. God shut the door. God said salvation is in that ark. You need to be in that ark. You get in the ark. You put the animals in the ark. You put your family in the ark. And then God shut the door. Outside of that ark, listen to what happens. Verse 21 and 22. And all flesh died and moved upon that moved upon the earth, both of the fowl and the cattle and of the beasts and of every creeping thing that creepeth upon the earth and every man, all in whose nostrils was the breath of life, and of all that was in the in the dry land died. Where did Noah need to be? What location did Noah need to be in? Where did he need to be at in order? to be saved. He had to be in that ark. Outside of that ark was death and destruction. But Noah was a righteous man. And because of his righteousness, because he found favor in the eyes of God, because he was a righteous man, God spared him and his family and the animals that he took into the ark. We're here today because of what Noah did. You know, we've seen a lot of rain in the last uh, couple of weeks. 
You think about how flooded it was in some areas from just one day of rain or two nights of rain. Can you imagine 40 days of rain, 40 nights of rain, and the flood rising up and you're on the outside, you're on the wrong side. God specified where they needed to be. And Noah preached while he was preparing that ark. And so people had an opportunity to change. God would have repented if people would have changed of destroying the earth, but they didn't. So Noah had to be in the ark. Another example is found in Exodus chapter 2. Concerning the children of Israel, if you have your Bible, turn to Exodus chapter 12, I mean. Not 2, chapter 12. We'll look at some verses there. Because there it says, in the beginning of verse 1, it says, And the Lord spake unto Moses and Aaron in the land of Egypt, saying, This month shall be unto you the beginning of months, and it shall be the first month of the year to you. Speak ye unto all the congregation of Israel, saying, In the tenth day of this month they shall take of them every man a lamb, according to the house of their fathers, a lamb for, for, for an house. And if the household be too little for a lamb, let him and his neighbor next to him, or next unto his house, take it according to the number of the souls. Every man according to his eating shall make your count for the lamb. Your lamb shall be without blemish, a male of the first year. Ye shall take it out from the sheep or from the goats. And ye shall keep it up until the fourteenth day of the same month. And the whole assembly of the congregation of Israel shall kill it in the evening. And they shall take the blood and strike it on the two side posts and on the upper door posts of the house, wherein they shall eat it. And they shall eat the flesh in that night, roast with fire and unleavened bread, and with bitter herbs they shall eat it. Eat not of it raw, nor sodden at all with water, but roast with fire his head and his legs and all the puritans thereof. And ye shall let nothing of it remain until the morning. And that which remaineth of it until the morning, ye shall burn with fire. And thus shall ye eat it with your loins girded, and your shoes on your feet, and the staff in your hand, and ye shall eat it in haste. It's the Lord's Passover. And I will pass through the land of Egypt this night, and I will smite all the firstborn of the land of Egypt, both man and beast. And against all the gods of Egypt I will execute judgment. I am the Lord. And behold, it shall be to you for a token unto the houses where ye are. And when I see the blood, I will pass over you, and the plague shall not be upon you to destroy you when I smite the land of Egypt. God is telling Moses what the children of Israel need to do in order to be spared. That the Egyptians are going to suffer that tenth plague. They had nine plagues which should have caused Pharaoh to wake up and say, listen, I know who your God is and I want to obey Him. But Pharaoh still had the attitude, who is the Lord that I should obey His voice? God had told Moses one more plague and that He will let you go. And so in verses 21 through 23, it says, Then Moses called all the elders of Israel and said unto them, Draw out and take you a lamb according to your families and kill the Passover. And ye shall take a bunch of hyssop and dip it in the blood that is in the basin and strike the lintel and the two side posts with the blood that is in the basin. And none of you shall go out at the door of his house until the morning. 
For the Lord will pass through to smite the Egyptians, and when he seeth the blood upon the lentils and on a side or two side posts, the Lord will pass over the door and will not destroy or suffer the destroyer to come in unto your houses to smite you. Verses 8, 28, and 29, And the children went away and did as the Lord had commanded Moses and Aaron, so did they. And it came to pass that at midnight the Lord smote all the firstborn in the land of Egypt, from the firstborn of Pharaoh that sat on his throne, unto the firstborn of the captive that was in the dungeons, and all the firstborn of cattle. Did God have a specific place where people had to be? Yes, they had to be in their houses. They had to kill that lamb. It had to be without blemish. It had to be within a year old or a year old. And so they had instructions that they had to follow. Do you think anyone at that time said, Hey, Moses, what if, what if, you know, in the middle of the night, at midnight, when they're coming through and people are dying, what if I run over to my neighbor's house? Well, I'll be okay. Would it be okay just to dart over there? I know I'm supposed to stay in the house, my house, but is it okay if I just dart over? Do you think it would be okay? Do you think anybody asked that question? You think anyone said, well, you know, I left something outside. I need to go out and get it. I want to bring it in. You know, I doubt if anybody thought of that. Why? Because it was a matter of life and death. If you stayed in the house, if you had trust in what God said, you'd be saved. But if you went out of that house, guess what? You would die. You see, when we believe something is a matter of life and death, we get kind of serious, don't we? You know, how many of us, when we heard the storms and the sirens going off a, a, a week or so ago, and we heard all that and the wind blowing and howling, how many of us took cover like they said do? Ears perked up, didn't it, when it happened? You didn't go outside and start getting stuff out of the yard. You stayed in the house when that wind started howling and blowing. Why? Because you knew it was a matter of life and death. In Egypt, the Bible tells us in verse 30 that there was not a house where there was not one dead person. Somebody died in every house in Egypt. Obedience was a matter of life and death. What if somebody said, well, I'll just put it on the two posts. That'll be okay. You think they would have survived? If you were in that situation, would you take that chance? No, you would want to make sure you did everything according to the instructions that God had given and you would follow through on those and make sure that you were safe. Why? Because it might be your child. It might be you yourself that would die. Third example. It's found in Joshua chapter 2. If you have your Bibles, turn over to Joshua chapter 2. And there we know that the children of Israel had entered the promised land and came to the fortified city of Jericho. And God had told Joshua that He had given it to him. It was in His hand. And then gave him instructions on what he had to do. Joshua had sent spies into Jericho. And Rahab had hidden those spies and protected them. And then in verse 17 it says, And the men said unto her, 
We will be blameless of this time of this thine oath which thou hast made us swear. Behold, when we come into the land, thou shalt bind this line of scarlet thread in the window which thou didst let us down by. And thou shalt bring thy father and thy mother and thy brethren and all thy father's household home unto thee. And it shall be that whosoever shall go out of the door of thy house into the street, his blood be upon his head. And we will be guiltless, and whosoever shall be with thee in the house, his blood shall be on our head, if any hand be upon him. Where did Rahab need to be in order to keep from being killed when Joshua and the army of Israel destroyed the city of Jericho? Where did Rachel need to be? Or Rahab need to be? Where did his, her family need to be? They, she needed to be in her house. Not somebody else's house. Not her father's house. Not her mother's house. Not someone else's house. She had to be in her house. And all of those that she wanted to have saved needed to be in that specific house in order to be saved. And to have that red thread or that red cord hanging out the window. In Joshua chapter 6 and verse 17, it says, And a city shall be accursed, even it and all that is therein to the Lord. Only Rahab the harlot shall live. She and all that are in her house, because she hid the messengers that we sent. Joshua chapter 6 and verse 23, And the young men that were spies went in and brought out Rahab and her father and her mother and her brethren and all that she had. And they brought out all of her kindred and left them without the camp of Israel. Joshua chapter 6 and verse 25, it says, And Joshua saved Rahab the harlot alive in her father's household and all that she had. And she dwelt in Israel even unto this day because she hid the messengers which Joshua sent to spy out Jericho. Rahab realized who God was. She knew that God was meant business and that Jericho was going to be destroyed. She knew that. She had faith in what she had heard God's people were able to do through God. And that moved her to do what she needed to do in order to be spared. But she was told where she needed to be. Everyone outside of that house would be destroyed. Today we hear a lot about faith. And a lot of times people say, I'm going to do what I want to do. And I'm by faith, I believe that God just accepts it. You can show them in the Bible what the Bible says. It's contrary to what they believe or what they teach. And yet they will still say, I'm going to stick by what I believe. I'm going to stick by what, I, what I've heard taught. And it's not the truth. You won't find anywhere in the Bible where it says, pray this prayer and you'll be saved. On the day of Pentecost, they were told to repent and be baptized. Jesus said, He that believeth and is baptized shall be saved. Turn over to Hebrews chapter 11. Was faith involved in all of those decisions that Noah made, that Moses and the children of Israel made, that Rahab made? Let's look at Hebrews chapter 11. Hebrews chapter 11 and verse 7. Now I want you to pay attention to what this verse says. By faith, Noah, being warned of God of things not seen as yet, moved with fear, prepared an ark to the saving of his family. We're going to stop right there. What does it say? 
Where did he get that message on how to be saved? He was warned of God. What did he hear? He heard the Word of God. Not someone else's opinion. He heard the Word of God. It says, by faith Noah being warned of God. Now we can read how God warned him in Genesis chapter 6. Of things not seen as yet. He hadn't seen a flood of that magnitude. And he moved with fear. Prepared the ark. Who told him how to build the ark? God. So God's Word was delivered to Noah. To the ark, or prepared an ark to the saving of his family, by the which he condemned the world and became heirs of righteousness, which is by faith. Noah believed the Word of God. He had faith in the Word of God. And that faith moved him to obey the Word of God. Is God's Word important for us? Is what He tells us in His Word concerning the church important to us? Does it involve our faith today? Well, if that's not enough for you, drop down to verse 28. Verse 28 of Hebrews chapter 11 says this, "...through faith He kept the Passover and the sprinkling of the blood, lest He that destroyed the firstborn should touch them." Moses heard the Word of God. Moses told the children of Israel the Word of God. They had faith in what God's Word had said, what had been revealed to them by by Moses. And that faith moved them to put that blood on their doorpost and on the lintel. It moved them to do what God told them to do. You see, people sometimes will say, there is absolutely nothing that you can do to save your soul. It's all based on faith. And I'm here to contend that the Bible is telling us that faith involves doing what the Lord says we have to do. Now, if those two are not enough for you, drop down to verse 31 of Hebrews chapter 11. Because it says there, by faith the harlot Rahab perished not with them that believed not when she had received the spies with peace. You see, Rahab, she had heard about God, heard about what the children of Israel were capable of doing to Jericho, and she said the people, their hearts had melted. They, they, they They were upset about what was going to happen. And so when the spies came, she had an opportunity to save them. And she hid them and did what she needed to do to save them. And in return, they told her what she needed to do in order to be saved. She had to stay in her house. She had to get all of her family that she wanted to save in that house. And outside of that house, they would perish. They would be killed. Again, a matter of life and death. She heard what she needed to do in order to be saved. Her faith in those words that were given to her moved her to obey. You think they stayed in that house? You think they were hanging out the window? I didn't hear Rahab say, hey, spies, listen. If we're hanging out the window, we're watching what's going on, well, we'd be saved. 
If we're on the back patio, we're under the, you know, we got a porch out there. If we're there, will we be saved? Where do you think they stayed? Not imagine they stayed in the house. Because that's where they were found. And everyone that was of her household that was spared had to be in that house. It's like James tells us in James chapter 2, verses 24 and 20 through 26. You see then how that by works a man is justified and not by faith only? Likewise also was not Rahab the harlot justified by works when she received the messengers and has sent them out another way? For as a body without the spirit is dead, so faith without works is dead also. Three cases where God says this is where you need to be in order to be saved. Three cases where they obeyed and they were saved. Why? Because they had faith in that message. Now, where does Jesus, where does God tell us that we need to be in order to be saved today? You see, God's chosen a location for salvation. And today, God has chosen that location to be the church. Jesus said in Matthew chapter 16 and verse 18, And I say also unto thee that thou art Peter, and upon this rock I will build my church, and the gates of hell shall not prevail against it. And then he warns us in Matthew chapter 15 and verse 13, But he answered and said, Every plant which my heavenly Father hath not planted shall be rooted up. And then in Acts chapter 20 and verse 28, it says, Take heed therefore unto yourselves and to all the flock over the which the Holy Ghost has made you overseers to feed the church of God which He hath purchased with His own blood. We need to be in that body. That church that Jesus built. The church that Jesus shed His blood for. You say, well, aren't there good people in all those other denominations? Well, yeah, there's good people. I'm not questioning their sincerity. But I am questioning the fact, do they listen to what the Bible teaches? Are they obedient to what the Bible teaches concerning the one church and then division? Because we see in the New Testament that they were united. They weren't teaching this and that and everything else. You do what you want to do and we'll do what we want to do. They were teaching the truth. Oh, they got off course sometimes. Jesus said, I'll remove your candlestick. That's basically saying it's going to uproot their, that congregation if they're not doing what they're supposed to do. The church at Corinth had, was messed up. They were doing a lot of bad things, but Paul went to straighten them out. He addressed those things. In the second letter, it appears that they had corrected most of those problems. So you ask, how can I be sure that I am in that one church that Jesus built. Do you have the confidence that you're in the right church? Or are you just still looking out there and saying, some of them, might, they got to be right. As I said with Moses and the children of Israel and Rahab, this is a life or death situation that we're in. 
Because if we're in the wrong location, in the wrong place, and by location I don't mean just in Ypsilanti, I mean in the Lord's church. If we're in the wrong one, we'd be lost. So how can we be confident? The same way they were confident. Hebrews chapter 11 and verse 6. But without faith it is impossible to please Him, for he that cometh to God must believe that He is, and that He is a rewarder of them that diligently seek Him. Did they have faith? Did Noah have faith? I don't even have to, to go back and look at Genesis. I can just look at Hebrews and I can see the Hebrew writer tells me, yeah, by faith Noah did what the Lord told him to do. By faith the children of Israel and Moses did what the Lord told them to do. By faith Rahab did what she was told to do. So is obedience important? Let me ask you, who did Noah? Who did Moses? Who did the children of Israel? Who did they obey? They obeyed the Word of God. And Romans chapter 10, verse 17 tells us, So then faith cometh by hearing, and hearing by the Word of God. Our faith must be based upon what God's Word says, not what I feel, what I would like, what I would hope for. Yeah, it would be wonderful to say, yeah, all these churches are okay, it's good. But is that what Jesus says? Is that what the Bible says? You may feel, oh, it doesn't really matter. Maybe you have that same attitude. It doesn't really matter what church you go to. Does it matter to Jesus? Does it matter to God? Think about what is taught. What if the plan of salvation isn't what the Bible says we must do in order to be saved? You see, the Bible is correct. I can be wrong, you can be wrong, but the Bible is not wrong. It's the inspired Word of God. It's God-breathed. It's what you're hearing being faithful to the being taught... What you hear being taught is it being faithful to the New Testament teachings that we read in the New Testament. You see, I believe that the Bible teaches us that if we believe what they believed and we do what they did, they will be what they were. In Acts chapter 2, when they cried out, men and brethren, what shall we do? What did Peter say? He said, repent and be baptized every one of you in the name of Jesus Christ for the remission of sins and ye shall receive the gift of the Holy Ghost. That's not any different than what Jesus said when He said, believe and be baptized in Mark 16, 15, and 16. It's not any different than what He said in Matthew chapter 28 when He said, go ye therefore and teach all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father, Son, and the Holy Ghost, teaching them to observe all things whatsoever I command you. Lo, I'm with you always, even unto the end of the world. And on that day, what happened? Well, Paul or Peter preached some more. The apostles preached some more. Because it says, with many other words, did he testify and exhort them, saying, Save yourselves from this untoward generation. And the Bible says that they that gladly received his word. Whose word was that? Was that Peter's word? Or was that the Lord's word that Peter was speaking? It was the Lord's word. 
So when the Bible tells us what we need to do in order to be saved, if we do what they did, won't we be saved also? Because it says they that gladly received His Word were baptized. And there was about 3,000 souls that were baptized on that occasion. And listen to what it says in verse 42. And they continued steadfastly in the apostles' doctrine and fellowship and in breaking of bread and in prayer. They had faith in that message that was being presented on that day because it was the Word of God. Faith comes by hearing the Word of God. And by faith it moved them, that about 3,000 of them, to obey the Gospel. And listen to what it says, verse 46, And they continued daily with one accord in the temple and breaking bread from house to house. And they did eat their meat with gladness and singleness of heart, praising God and having favor with all the people. And the Lord added unto the church daily, such as should be saved. Jesus said, Upon this rock I will build My church. What church do you think that they were added to on that day of Pentecost? The day that Peter's preaching here in Acts chapter 2. They were added to that church that Jesus said that He would build. It wasn't divided. It says they were with one accord. They were united. Brother, we need to continue in that doctrine today. Don't let the world influence us. Don't let the world say, hey, think about it. There's a lot of people out there. How can you be so sure? We can be so sure because we trust not our opinion, not what someone thinks. We trust what God's Word says. And that's what's important. This morning, if you're not a Christian, remember what Jesus said. Not everyone that saith unto me, Lord, Lord, shall enter into the kingdom of heaven, but he that doeth the will of my Father which is in heaven. The Lord's will is that we be obedient to His Gospel. He told His disciples to go into all the world and preach the Gospel to every creature. He that believeth and is baptized shall be saved. He that believeth not shall be damned. My friend, you hear people argue that, well, you know, baptism's not important because he didn't mention that in the second verse there, in, in verse 16. He that believeth not shall be damned. He didn't say believeth not and baptized not. Well, no, if you don't believe, if you don't have faith in that message, why do any of it? You know, if Noah didn't have any faith or didn't have faith in just one part of what the Lord commanded, would he have been saved? No. He wouldn't have obeyed. His faith moved him to be obedient, and our faith moves us to do what the Lord tells us to do in order to be saved. And when we do that, He'll add us to His church. So this morning, if you're not a Christian, I would encourage you to become one. And if you are a Christian and you've wandered away, we talk, we sang that song of drifting away. What a what an awful picture to picture. If someone is in a lost condition and they're just floating out further into being lost. The Lord throws out a lifeline. And as Christians, we need to be throwing out that lifeline to help people to see what they need to know and see so that they can have that home in heaven. So this morning, if you need to respond to the invitation, you can come and have a seat up here on the front row. Always stand the same.